What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is comedian Jerry Law. What's happening, Jerry? Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, 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 what's happening, Kat? Good, good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited about this conversation. Jerry, I want to start with a bit about you, uh, where, where you came up and how you came up. Tell the people. All right. My name is Jerry Law. I'm Helen out of East Oakland, California. Uh, born in East Oakland, went around, I mean, everywhere in Oakland growing up, playing at Dufermy Park. I was one of them little kids you would call a creek bum. You can find me at the creek. That's back when kids used to go outside and play. And uh, let me see. Um, yeah, East Oakland resident. Uh, been in Oakland all my life. Uh, got into some trouble. Uh, went on a vacation, as we call it. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Babylon. I went behind enemy lines. I went to the old thug's mansion. Well, guess what? It ain't no mansion. So... <laughs> And then I came back, man, and I just, you know, rock with the community and try to, you know, give back to the streets, the very same streets of the blocks and avenues that I once, you know, was out there uh, beating the block down. Right. Jerry, how long were you incarcerated for? I was locked up for 15 years. I had a 15-year prison sentence, subsequently served 13 straight off of that. Uh, the base of my case was two years. I had 13 years worth of enhancements which they had, uh, you know, manipulated the law and put that on there. But I had studied the law, actually. And that's what uh, that's what ultimately uh, put me in front of judge to get that deal, because that morning I was looking at 38 to life. Oh, we are so glad you're home, Jerry. I see you out and about in the community often. Um, you rock with my brother, my comrade, Terha Ak, as they serve the community with Community Ready Corps. Talk about how being incarcerated changed your life and set you on a trajectory to be of service. Oh man. Oh man. It was it's so many, so many nuances, man. So many, um, I call them reality moments. And, uh, I, 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 and I'll, I'll stay three here. One reality moment was being incarcerated with a, a lot of older brothers, a lot of older black men, and they had a lot of knowledge in game. I mean, they had a lot of knowledge, man, a lot of knowledge. And I'm know that the youth out here could use it. So as I absorbed the knowledge in there, I found myself writing letters for brothers. There were a lot of brothers that had um, signed paperwork, didn't know what they were signing, and literally signed their life away. I learned uh, it, it was life-changing to learn how the DA and your public pretender or court-appointed attorney will work hand-in-hand to trade you off like cattle. Um, and I mean, it's, 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 it's cold, it's callous, but... Once they get you in that trick bag, man, you got to do what you can get up out of there. Uh, it changed me. I wanted to help uh, because I know myself. I know how I was raised. I came up in the church. My grandparents, you know, um, I was raised by my grandparents. My mother, she was addicted to drugs. Uh, never had a father. I was the oldest of nine siblings. Oftentimes as a youth, I found myself watching them, you know, making bottles. I, I damn had a whole family at the age of nine. You know what I'm saying? I should have had a cigarette. I put my robe on. <laughs> them little kids, man, uh, cooking meals for them. It came to a point where I used to have to go, you know, run up the store, steal so we could eat. So my mom was gone. Then we end up staying with my grandmother. God bless their souls, man. But that's that's another thing that uh, that I'll tell anybody about being in prison. Uh, you leave the people you love, and if you get out, 
uh, oftentimes the people you love have left you. And it's a, it's a, it's a crazy feeling. But what made me want to be of service is just that I ain't want to see anybody no more of my people, man. We got, oh, man, the setup is real. And I, like I said, I've been on both sides now, so I can see. So I don't, um, just last night, but just for the past two days, I was uh, doing comedy in San Bruno up in the San Francisco County Jail, you know, bringing the brothers laughter and sharing the piece of, you know, the message and hopefully that they can, uh, you know, come from up under what they under. But like I say, being in prison, man, just being a grown man on a top bunk, that, that shit. Oh man. That's, oh man. I'm grown. I got to be on the top bunk. Oh man, it was, just, it was it was just too much of a. It was just like, wait, man, this is not. I'm a player, man. This ain't where I'm supposed to be at. And then you you learn about you learn about it's really about money. It's it's modern day slavery. That's for damn sure. I've worked for eight cent an hour. I've worked for six cent an hour, and that's why I won't complain about working. You know what I mean? Because I, I I work for nothing literally, and I was a part of that slavery up in there. And um, you learn they have warehouses where if you start a prison, you can go in there and you can pick what kind of beds you want. You can pick the handcuffs. You can pick how you want the cell, the toilet. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this is big business. And I was with the CCPOA. I I, uh, I ended up doing my last four years out of state because Arnold Schwarzenegger got caught with his hand in the cookie jar and lied. And that's what opened up the gates eventually for a lot of the brothers. Jerry, you said the setup is real, and I could not agree more. And we're watching our young folks out here on this, these streets of Oakland locked out of so many opportunities. And, and what is being called for now is to funnel them into jails and prisons. What, what do we need for our young people on Oakland streets to, 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 to turn this around? Uh, and and I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. And I had watched... Uh, I watched an interview of yours, Kat, and you had said something and it stuck with me. And you was like, America can't keep using um, incarceration, you know what I mean? Or just just herding people away to stop crime. And what happens is this, and this is from my own experience, also working with the youth. There's this, this gap in this space for young black people, for young uh, inner city people. From the age of, depending on the parent, you know, if your mother's in the house, parents in the house, is mostly a, a broken homes. His mom's there, father's not. And the kids sometimes end up raising themselves. What happened is there's this space between the age of 13 and maybe 16, 17, I would say, until you're old enough to get a job. The demand is heavy on these youngsters to get money, to survive, to live, to catch up with the newest dress code, the newest dress trend. And they're chasing that. And what happens is you literally can have enough to live, to survive and do better, put in the work, but you don't have those people around you. What happened to me and my guys on my block, um, they took everything we had that we didn't have anything to do. There were no mentors. Um, the mentors that I would say, say at EOYDC, that they would try to have the brothers, uh, sad to say, I guess they wasn't street enough or they wasn't, they, I guess they didn't go through enough hardships to where we could, um, identify with what they were saying. Now I and myself with my nonprofit from the cage to the stage, uh, it's more about prevention. It's more about showing these little brothers, just showing them you have a choice and just showing them something 
different, but being able to actually cash in on it. And what I mean by that is a lot of times they sit these little youngsters, they have these uh, these powwows and these talks and they sit them in a room and they talk at them. They say, well, what's the problem? How can we fix it? The little brothers is caught up. They telling you how to fix it, but the people who we run it, they might have the resources, but don't have the resources to fix it or to even help. They need immediate help. They need to see change immediately because that's how life moves in, in their world. And so take jobs. You have to have a job permit at the age of 16. You got people out there need that money at 13, 14, 15. And, and those are the age groups like we got to have something for them. Now, the messed up part is that besides the, uh, the TikTok and they getting all this information on, online that a normal uh, and I say normal loosely youngster wouldn't get. You know, it, it takes their brain to a whole nother level. And they they still young. Their kids, their minds aren't even developed. They're still malleable, you know, and it's, it's just being shaped wrong. But what I would say is that literally and I'm starting, I'm doing it myself, literally. You have to get these youth, show them, not just talk to them, show them the way, literally lead the path. Literally, if you got to hold their hand, take them there. And it starts with jobs and it starts with them having something to do. Because a lot of times me and my buddies got in trouble. We just didn't have nothing to do. You are a comedian, Jerry, and uh, a very funny one at that. When and how did you discover comedy? Uh, I was always told that I should be a comedian. I was one of those guys. They always tell me, man, you funny. You should be a comedian. Uh, the journey of wanting to be funny started uh, when I was a youngster. My, like I said, my grandfather was from Chicago. My grandmother, she was raised. She's from Louisiana. So I got the city boy and I had the country mama. And so my grandfather, he was very abusive. And after he would put his hands on my grandmother, uh, I would try to cheer her up and make her laugh. You know what I mean? You know, try to, you know, try to cheer her up, try to be there for her. And so out of that grew me being a protector and a provider. And so the comedy, it was just my, my take on things. So when I went to prison, uh, I was my mental was clear. I'll state that. My mental was clear. I wasn't in there because somebody made me do something or uh, I, I was trying to do something. I shouldn't. No, no, no. I, I, I stand on what I stand on. And that, that's that. Um, but while in prison, my mind was clear. I was okay with why I was there. I knew my release date. I knew that all I had to do was wake up every day and I'd be okay. And a lot of times I found myself just sitting in the cell thinking of stupid shit to say. And it was just, I mean, Hey, I mean, I'm just talking smack and you know, I'm from Oakland, you know, we popping, uh, we talk fast and, uh, you know, we, we brainiacs. And so the guys, they laughing and I'm telling stories and we just joking and, uh, my first comedy show was in prison in Oklahoma. Um, my, it's a little brother's name was T-Man. His mother had passed. I hadn't experienced that pain yet. And so he, he, he was in his cell for about a month. He didn't come outside and come out of nothing. He was mourning. So all the brothers, you know, he was a good brother. So we, you know, we, you know, say, Hey man, you need something. And, you know, try to be there for, for the brothers as, 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 as much as we could. So he finally came out. And one of the older brothers came to my cell door. I was on top tier. And he said, hey, Luck, as they call me, Lucky. He said, hey, Luck. He said, man, T-Man coming out, man. Come come, come, cheer the homie up. And I said, man, I ain't in the cheering men up in prison. I said, who do you think I am, man? You know what I'm saying? We were just laughing, jiggling. And he was like, uh, he was like, come on out, man. He's like, he was like, I got a shot of coffee for you. And I got $20 in canteen. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So my first show I ever got paid for was for a shot of coffee. 
uh, some deodorants, uh, some top ramen, and a few pack of refried beans. And I went down there and just did what I knew was comedy. It just made everybody laugh, brought the brother's spirit back up, and Lucky Dollars Jerry Law was born. <laughs> and then so you came home. What was the process of building your career as a comedian like? Oh, man. Uh, I've been on a fast track, I would say. So what happened, uh, I came home, and before I was released, I was already enrolled in college because everybody was talking about Barack Obama, what he wasn't doing for the black people and what he wasn't doing for us. And I realized that we didn't have any money. Black people, we wasn't lobbying. We didn't have no money. We didn't have no laws to pass. And if we did, we just didn't have the people there in that lobby with the money talking about, hey, man, let me cash you out so we can get our agenda pushed. And we didn't have that. But what Barack did do, he put a lot of money in education. If you wanted to learn to trade, if you wanted to better yourself in those ways, then the money was there. So I, I heard it on the news, read about it when I was at Solano. I had my friend enroll me in uh, Chabot College before I got out. So before I even hit the turf, I was already in, uh, enrolled in Chabot. So I went over there. Um, I had And all the classes she had chose for me, uh, all of them were filled. And so the only classes were open uh, was uh, mass communications, radio and television. So I take those classes and man, uh, <laughs> everything happened for a reason. I had a radio show for uh, for three years. It was uh, like six hours a day. It was on uh, KCRH 89.9 FM because it was FM. You know, you had to be clean. So I'm interviewing all the rappers. I'm going out, poets, whatever. Whoever I can get in there to interview, I'm interviewing them. And a group of little brothers came in and was like, man, you hella funny, man. You should be a comedian. I'm like, dude, how do how you do that? How do you become a comedian? He said, there's an open mic in San Francisco. I said, an open mic? I'm like, what's that? Like, it was so foreign. I've never heard them. We're like, I ain't, like, man, I ain't even know about it. I said, well, uh, he was like, well, come with us next Thursday to the Brainwash. It's a guy there by the name of uh, Tony Sparks that run it. I said, okay. They took me over there. Man, got on that open mic. Bomb both times. Back to back. Uh, I was supposed to do like four, <laughs> both times. I was supposed to do like four minutes. I was off in two. I said, "Yep, uh, this." It was so fun. I said, "Man, I got to figure this out." And after that, I uh, I kept at it. I started going to uh, Tommy T's, and uh, Mario Hodge had put me on the show. And then the club owner's daughter, uh, Jen, she said, uh, "Hey, Lucky." They called me Lucky. Say, "Hey, Lucky, would you like your own show?" And I said, heck yeah. So on September 18th, 2014, I produced uh, my own show at Tommy T's and I had over 200 people in the building. And ever since then, I ain't looked back. I went on to be the host of Tommy T's. Uh, since then, I've performed with Mike Epps, uh, Dave Chappelle in Hollywood. I've been on at the Paramount about eight or nine times. I've performed with some of the best. Um, and I'm putting my own special together currently now, titled From the Cage to the Stage. I've, uh, let's see, Jess Hilarious, she was uh, she was very helpful in the beginning of my career. Ryan Davis, even like Lunell, she was, she gave us game, you know, coming up early in the game. Who else? Brother Kirk McHenry, Daniel Dugar. Um, and those are like Oakland comics from the Bay Area. And uh, Mike Epps, uh, Damon Wayans, and Marlon Wayans gave me the knowledge in the game of how and how I should write uh, my special uh, about From the Cage to the Stage. And George Lopez taught me how to set it up. That's amazing. That's that's amazing. Talk about the premise of Cage to the Stage. Lay, lay out for my listeners what, what that project is. Okay, so From the Cage to the Stage was uh, 
was born from me coming out of that cage, out of that, out of that, uh, the prison, and then ending up on the stage, uh, stay on, on some of the biggest platforms and stages in the world. And then it got deeper for me. It was like from the cage to the stage could be like you coming out of stage of depression, you coming out of the stage of poverty, bondage, and but you go into the stage of uh, you coming out of those cages and you go into the stage of life. You know what I mean? To bigger and better things. And so what I end up doing uh, is start morphing uh, because it can be from the cage of anything, anything that has you bound, has you locked. It could be a bad relationship, but you can come out shining. And that's the main thing, come out shining. And um, when I did the show with Mike Epps, uh, Samore, shout that sister out because she has a lot of brothers. Samore was hosting and I got to come out at the Oakland Coliseum, perform the five minutes, and then I uh, passed the mic to her. And so she came up, hosted the show, and it was just like, that was the biggest stage in my life at the Oakland Coliseum, man, in my neighborhood, in my city. And it's just, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was just amazing. But from the cage to the stage, it's just like, it's uh, coming from nothing, literally, and uh, making something of yourself. It's, it's, it's a positive thing. It's more like keep going. And so what I do, how I use it with the youth is it's a way to share my story and let them know, hey, man, I ain't too far removed from what you guys are going through, but I can tell you how you can get away from this. And so I plan to be a mentor to these youth. And uh, it's just from the cage to the stage, whatever you're going through and you don't like it, the discomfort, let's get you up out of there. Let's get you to the stage so you can shine. Jerry Law, you talked about growing up on the streets of East Oakland, your mother struggling with substance abuse. You were incarcerated. Can you talk about the healing power of comedy? Oh, man, the healing power of comedy. Comedy is what kept me sane in prison because I laughed at everything. I la- I was just one of them dudes that just laughed, laughed, laughed because I had to find the humor in everything. Um, and, the, and healing with the comedy with laughter is that laughter, when you laugh, uh, it, it, it enacts those. Um, it's like laughter, working out. It, um, it sparks those feel-good receptors in your brain, those endorphins. And so you get this good euphoric feeling coming over your body. Plus, when you smile, you, you get less wrinkles in your face, too, when you're all mad and all face all crunched up. And the laughter in prison, um, because everybody in there, every last person in prison has went through one of the most inhumane and traumatic experiences that they've experienced in their life. And having the power to make someone in that situation laugh and forget about them troubles and take you away for a minute and you say, you know what? Hey, things are not so bad. That is where the healing begins because it's just the start of you going up positively and you just get those positive reinforcements. They might be small, but you got to build on it. And I myself... Any any negative situation, I don't look at it, oh, I took a loss. No, I learned a lesson. You know, <laughs> I won't do that again. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's the, the power of laughter when it comes to healing is the ability to be able to laugh through some of the hardest uh, situations that you've, uh, you, that you've been through. Because uh, it's a saying in prison that we say, say you have to laugh to keep from crying. You got to laugh to keep from crying. So if you don't be laughing, then you might be crying. And crying 
Crying all right, they say it soothes the pain and soul, but that's just the words of a song. It'll help you later, but laughter, oh man, you make somebody laugh, it'll change their whole day. <laughs> Jerry, you talked about the, the brothers that held you down while you were inside. We know that our people get spit back out on these streets with no resources, no supports, no nothing. Who held you down? How were you held down when you came outside? Okay, so what happened to me was what happened to a lot of young brothers that go in prison at an early age. I went in prison when I was 22, uh, oldest of nine kids. So I got my siblings that I was taking care of because a lot of brothers that go in were the breadwinner. So you get no help. You get no hold down. Uh, the girl I was with, she left them. I already knew that was coming about a year because I had 15 years, man. Um and I told her, I said, hey, go and live your life. Do what you got to do because I got to focus on what's going on up in here. I can't um, I can't be worried about you and stressing and I get into it with somebody and, it, it, you know, it extend my sentence because I'm angry with you, not really with the situation. Uh, my brother Marcus, my brother Merce, he held me down. My sister uh, Faye, she was very instrumental. She held me down. A uh, couple of my good friends, uh, Chantel, uh, Rochelle, they held me down when I was in there, man. Showed me love, looked out for me. Um, who else? Uh, my friend Christina, they looked out. Uh, my brother's father, my brother who I went to prison behind, subsequently his father, he wrote me, looked out for me as much as he could. And uh, when you come home, that's when it really started. My sister was like, you want me to throw you, you want me to throw you a party? And I said, nah, sis. She like, why? Everybody else, you know, you come home, you get a party. I'm like, sister, what am I celebrating? I'm like, what am I celebrating? I just came from nothing to now more nothing. I say, nah, I got expectations on my body that I didn't have up in there. I still, I, I was, you come out of prison with a lot of things that you don't even know was, you don't even know what's happened to you. You don't even know what's going on. That you, the only way you'll figure out what really happened to you is through living. It's through uh, being outside because you were just existing. You weren't living. You was existing. You were alive, but you were existing. You weren't living. And so when I came home, um, I well, thank God I came home doing tax season, and and that was a gift and a curse because everybody was getting their money, and I'm thinking, oh, they out here doing good. No, they got them taxes, man. By June, everything dried up. I said, God damn, what the. I said, wait, can I get that 50? No, I ain't got it. What? Oh, damn. Okay. And so it was like, um, when I got out of prison, I didn't get uh, paroling. They didn't give me nothing. They didn't. I didn't get nothing, cat. I didn't get nothing. I did this all on my own. I, nobody, well, I had one sister. She uh, looked out for me, and that's how I was able to get my car. But outside of that, I didn't get the help like that. Shout out my sister, uh, Peaches, man. I had. I went to go live with her. And I had a plan. I said, okay, six months, I'll be out of here. She was like, okay, cool. And that's because I didn't know how hard it was out there just yet. I had a uh I had a plan. You know, your your rent is supposed you're supposed to make three times more than your rent. So when I had left, rent was six hundred dollars. So you know what the rent is today. So needless to say, I was with her about a year. And so then I was, uh, I had, like I said, I was in school and, and I was getting the um, funding from the school. And in 90 days, I had got me a job. And uh, I, like I say, in school, got a job and then comedy hit and the rest is history. But outside, like getting help like that, man, nobody, I didn't, I didn't come home and had, and the homeboys was like, hey, man, here go a bunch of money and this and that. When I did go back by the block, 
brother tried to hand me a sack and a pistol. I said, oh, no. Mm-hmm. And it, it looked like he had the same sack from when I got locked up. I said, oh, never. I can't. I will never. It's just some things I will never do. And that was one of them. I'll never be back out there like that. I know better. There were times I did know better, but I know better now. And so, again, the parole office and all that, they didn't help me. They had a tag for brothers like me. They said that I was a functioning parolee. You hear me? They said I was a functioning mm-hmm. parolee, cat. They told me basically that if I wasn't on drugs, if I wasn't um if I wasn't mentally ill or something, see if you if, if they encourage you to go do drugs and, and, and mess your mind up. I didn't get on no medication, cat, because I didn't want no problems when it was time for me to come home. I uh I always exercised. I stayed physically, I stayed morally straight, I stayed awake, stayed uh physically in shape. I just kept it up. I just, you know, I was focused. Jerry Live, folks want to catch you. Where can they find you? You can find me in St. Louis rolling them dubs. No, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, Jerry Law 2 Raw. That's Jerry, J E R R Y L A W, the number two, R A W, Jerry Law 2 Raw. That's on Instagram. That's um, Facebook, Jerry Law. Uh, you can catch me every Wednesday. Catch me every Wednesday at T's Southern Kitchen. I got poetry and comedy. Doors open at 5. We go to about 10 o'clock. Um, the entertainment starts at 7.30. We got poetry first, and then we have that. And uh, you can catch me in the community, uh, looking out for the community, man. And uh, you'll see me around probably with some children doing surveys about the city of Oakland coming up shortly. So feel free to say hi, and I will be, um, I will be mentoring uh, the youth. I'm trying to carve out my hours so we can do it every Saturday. And I want them to bring me their report cards. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, I know what it takes to get these brothers where they need to be. Sometimes all you need is a hand. Sometimes all you need is somebody just to push you a little bit. And I just know how to be what they didn't have because I was in the same situation. We all drunk from the same cup. I just know how to stop drinking it. Yep, that's where you can find me at. Oh, catch me on Quake's house, uh, Sirius XM, Kevin Hart, LOL Network. I'll be on there on Tuesdays. Check me out. Y'all are listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks, and this week's Resistance in Residence is comedian Jerry Law. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. Mm-hmm.